Welcome to episode 361 of the Doctor Day, Doctor Who podcast. My name is David, and here's my wife, Sugar. Hello. Today we're going to talk about episode 2 of the Rebus Operation. Okay. Yes, so the Doctor and Romana are stuck, and the, as the panel is coming down with the Triven Ball, outside of the relic room, the guards say to the captain, there must be some obstruction. So they says, well, take it up a bit because it might be the, the beast itself. So they pull up the panel a little bit, which allows the Doctor and Romana to scramble out to safety. And then they start to lower it, uh, lower it again so that the beast is trapped and Romana and the Doctor are safer in the relic room. And she's... Uh, clabbered on and is holding on to the doctor and then she and they separate and she says he's well you shouldn't be afraid of things like that it's like well, I wasn't afraid I just says well are there more creatures like that and he says millions millions <laughs> he laughs it off and walks away from her and she says oh there's somebody coming and he looks down at the locks I've been picking in the locks so no well, maybe we can explain. So, oh, yeah, I'm sure. We're helping ourselves to your crown jewels. Sorry about that. And um, then they argue a bit more. And then someone is right outside the doors. And uh, he says, well, they might not discharge. They might not chop our hands off. Maybe they'll just kill us. And then someone has arrived outside. So they hide real quickly um, behind two panels on either side of the door that enters the relic room. The um, captain and some of his shrews at arms come in and they are um, doing a ceremony of lighting and there's very uh, usual music playing and they walk around. There's a little ringing kind of a sound effect as they put the staff up to the light and it lights the sconce in the wall and they walk all around the room doing this. As they're still in hiding behind by the door, Garon enters and says, um, I give thanks to for a safe journey, very ceremonial as well. And the captain asks, so oh, where are you from? He says, I'm from the north. And he gives his pass for his travel uh, to the captain to review. It's for him and his his companions, he says. Garon explains that he's a merchant and he and his colleagues are traveling. One of them is traveling with a large amount of money, like more than a million opecs. And that's not a good thing to be carrying around. It could, you know, invite thieves to rob them. And where else safer than in the relic room to um, keep the money while they're there. So of course he'd pay the captain a, a, or make a donation and a hundred or a thousand opecs and the captain can take care of paying that part of it out if they'll agree. So the captain agrees to this arrangement and that he can bring the money later. So Garen leaves. Dr. Romana sneak away out, out of the room as well. Garen goes to visit the Graf and Sherlock and um, Garen says something about 
oh, nobody would, would uh, try to trick the graph of decay. His exploits are well known in the galaxy. He's like, are they really? And he touched a nerve there, and, get, and the graft is very vehement. And he says how he returned from his, his battles that Garen talked about, find his half-brother had taken the throne, and said, oh, you, you, I thought you appealed that. Oh, they, had, they denied his appeal. And obviously a very sore subject with the graft of Indicay. Um, and then they start talking about price and about the, uh, the sale conditions. Of the, the, of their deal. The doctor and Ramana are um, out of the relic room, and he's just—they're just standing there, and he's very deep in thought, wondering about this and that. And um, Ramana says, "Well, why do we even want to get involved with this? We've, you know, um, it has nothing to do with our, our. Why don't we just get in there, get the segment, and leave?" And um, she's oh sure I, I wouldn't dream of getting involved um, and the doctor says that uh, you know well maybe Garen is after the same thing that they are um, and he mentions that there may be some competition in their search um, which he nearly mentions the black guardian and cover tries to cover it up that she's not supposed to know about that but she does pick up on it um, so she's now pondering this. He says, well, he might be a competition, or he might just be a simple cook. Garen tells the graph that the, the mineral rights, uh, the people are a grade three planet. They, they don't know anything about that. It's, um, it'd be millennia before they could be a grade two planet to even have the mining equipment or the know-how or the understanding of it to... Um, to keep the mineral so he shouldn't worry about all of that. They, the Garon takes them on a, um, to the relic room as a tour. Um, sorry, lost my place. And uh, they see the Jethric in the cabinet and the Graft asked casually, what is this blue stone here? And uh, Garen says, I have no idea. Let's ask the, the guard, the shreve. And he calls him over, and it's uh, Anstoff in here, the guard uniform that he had knocked out previously. And he comes and he tells a, a very, I think it's a West Country accent he's using. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, his is it's supposed to be folksy, I think. Folksy, yeah. yeah. Um, makes me think of their from the Are You Being Served Again? Mm -hmm. Um, the, the farm workers, um, yeah. uh, that type of voice. So his name's just, escaping me right yes, now. Yes, I know. It's been a while since I've watched it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't watched that one. That's not as much as original. The original I know terribly, terribly well. Uh, so he spins this tale that is called Screenstone, and you uh, put it somewhere around your neck, and you never suffer from the scringes. And how um, there used to be a mine of it that 
after just a couple ice times, the glacier had moved all the rocks around, and now it's a lost mine. They can't find it, and it's going on and on, and Garen's just sweating bullets, like, oh my God, what is he doing? And um, then he says, well, yes, and my dad was one of those miners looking for the, the secret mine, and they found him dead, frozen, with this big old lump of scrimstone in his pocket, wrapped in this parchment, and he shows it to him and says, oh, it looks like a map. Yeah, that's what I think, and I'm probably going to go searching for this mine myself. And Thanks, but I'm going off duty now, and he, he exits. The doctor and Romana have been listening in from the other side of the case, and they come around to Garen's side and join in the conversation. Garen says something about him spinning yarns and says the doctor says well I don't know he he seemed like an interesting story to me and Romana says um, yes and he has such an open honest face and then they they all exit um, the doctor and uh, Romana are left in the relic room and he's questioning the story he says phony map to a non-existent mine and are people really falling for this old stuff? Are they? And Romana says she looks confused. She says, but, but he had, you don't believe his story? He says, no. He says, but he had such an open and honest face. He says, you can't be a successful crook with the dis on his face. Now can you? <laughs> One of our favorite parts. So back with Garon, he, he tells uh, Graf that, you know, if, if you've agreed to this, I'll have to send a wire cable at, in this other bigger city to send my associates the terms of the deal that you've agreed. It'll take a couple weeks. I'm sure they'll want a deposit. And Graf says, well, I never go back on my word. Again, very theatrical Graf. He says, well, I know they'll need a deposit, maybe a million OPEX. So he agrees. Tells Shorlack to go get the money. And uh, Shorlack questions whether, oh, well, if you have to fly to this other city to send this communication, you're not taking the money with you. And um, he says, oh, clever man. She says, no, it'll be housed here with the captain of arms in the relic room and so that's agreed upon as well. So they go off together. Graf is left alone in his, his quarters and warming his hands at the fireplace and somehow looks up or hears something, finds the little bug that um, Garen has placed in his room. Garen meets with Unstoff and is very upset with him trying to do this little extra bit to sell him the mine and he's well a little extra never hurts like yeah it will because he's a big bad soldier and we mess with the graft and we may end up very very dead and stuff before he goes off asks uh, about the so you notice the big fellow and the girl it's like yeah i've been noticing them a lot so the dr romana have found the the upper opening of the shaft down to the um, Shrivenzal and uh, says this is, must have been where they drugged the, the beast and went down into the relic room and 
The doctor says how he thinks that they're selling a map to the non-existent mine, and you'll have to return for the Jesseric and the money. Um, and the doctor and Romana will be there waiting for him when they do. So, um, Sherlock, um, comes to talk to the Graf, and Graf meets him out, takes him outside and tells him about the bug that he found, and he thinks, well, Garen must have planted it, probably to see what he'd be willing to pay, um, and, uh, that it's obvious that Garen is not really what he seems to be, because if this world is non- non-technological and that this you know the, he must have planted this bug and he must be from not where he's saying he's from so. but they do bring the money to the captain the uh, captain uh, seems impatient he says bring the money so they, they put it in the safe and Garen asked for a receipt so as uh, it makes the captain sign something, uh, gives him his back to sign on, and hold, holds his keys for him while he does it, and of course takes a key. And then it's curfew, so they have to get out, um, and get out and away, and they need to close up the relic room. The uh, Unstoff and Garen are back on the, the rooftop to go down the shaft, he dropped the meat to drug the beast, and then Garen gives him the key so that he can go in and steal back the money. Uh, Doctor and Romana are up in the roof, hidden, uh, watching, and he tells her to, to watch, uh, stay put, and he's going to try to get down into the relic room before him. Doctor gets caught by a sec by the sentry. Uh, who he awakens. He says, what are you doing here? And out, 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 out after curfew. So I couldn't sleep either. Um, he goes to call a watch on him. The doctor um, says he has a pass and instead brings out his stop, his uh, watch and says, uh, tries to do his hypnotism thing for the sentry. Unstoff has made it inside the relic room and he stolen the money. He hears the doctor coming in, trying to open the locks with his sonic screwdriver outside. So he hides by the door as the doctor comes in and then Unstoff runs out, locks the door behind him. The sentry awakens as Unstoff runs by and blows the whistle to call the guard to the doctor to get out, heads into the chamber with the shrivens all and up the shaft, and Garen asks for to unstuff because he hears a whistle blowing. What went wrong? And the doctor pops up and says, almost everything. And he says, don't move. He says, we've got you covered. He's like, who's got me covered? And Romana says, pipes up. But she's behind him, waiting. Garen gets up and says, oh, all right, I'll come quietly, officer. Hold out his hands. The doctor takes both of them and shakes them. Um, 
and then he just uh, takes him away and they're walking through the square and they come upon the Graf von Bouquet and Sherlock and the rest of his guards and Garon seems very surprised to see him. Graf is not happy and he thinks he's being swindled and he tells his guards to execute them. So he says, take, take aim. And there's a close-up of the doctor's face as he's stuttering, stammering to say, no, 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 don't. The end. So, a lot of, um, some of our favorite lines, and I know mine, and you've mentioned yours, too, some of them we see in this. Um, some of the dialogue's kind of funny, funky, though, and does make me laugh. It's not even by the doctor in the, at the beginning when the captain is talking to his, sh his shrieves at arms about the beast being stuck. Mm -hmm. And uh, to pull it up or pull, let the panel down, and he says, the guard says, oh, it's nasty enough at the best of times. It's like, that's why it's there, you dolt. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I always thought that was kind of a funny little aside. Weird comment, yeah. A weird little comment you wouldn't expect, you know. This captain who doesn't like his men very much, you know. Um, and, and let's see. I love the open and honest face bit. <laughs> Cause, Go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just going to say, it's, it's just so fun. It, the doctor plays along really well with Garon, that he believes it, and it seems so funny that uh, Romana says so too, but she really does believe it, you know. And his comment about you wouldn't be very successful with a dishonest face, which... Yeah. <laughs> that's the part that really good one and then again more of the extra dialogue is when the when they bring the money to the captain uh, he says really quickly do you have money <laughs> kind, of, kind of funny but he's in a hurry because they have to close up for the because night because of curfew because of curfew um, and says yes it's curfew and I have to I have to set the shrivens all free and it's like just the wrong emphasis, it seems to me. Um, I guess we could talk a little bit about the captain. Uh, well, before we get to that, talk. you talked about Romana. Yeah. Oh, when, right. When they first come up after hearing the whole story about the map, uh huh. Romana's comment makes me think that she understands what's going on. How she says it implies that she doesn't buy the story either. At least that's how it struck me. Mm. But then, because open and calling someone and saying someone has an open and honest face, it's almost become a code word for, but we don't buy what you're selling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, she certainly seems to understand what's going on when once the she and the doctor are, are up on top of the roof. Right later. Later on, yeah, she. she but for a, but when she and the doctor are talking about it, it becomes obvious that she doesn't yeah. understand that it was all a con job. Right, I think she was believing the doctor when he was try. He was pretending to believe. Yeah. In the story, so.
So I think I find that, that a little disjointed in a way because I think at first she doesn't believe it, but then it come, turns out she does believe it, but has learned better now. Oh. So it feels really odd to me. We were, you were mentioning before, though, that in, I think especially this part and the beginning where she says, are there more creatures like that? Mm. And um, that uh, it shows that she really is a naive mm-hmm. time lady and this is her first field work, essentially. Like, yep. you know, like the brand new FBI agent, you know, on the case that only has worked in the office. You know, it's new to the job kind of thing. This is her first experience out in the in the universe outside of off of Gallifrey, I guess, outside of her the academy. So those things I think point that out. Um, and in her uh, her haughtiness, you know, is kind of a cover for really being inexperienced. Yes. But I think that they're, they've, they're forming a little more of a understanding of the relationship and working together a little bit better, I think. Does it feel weird to have the doctor trying to teach her every time they turn around? Giving her a lesson that's about something? Or is that just, that just is seems, that fine? That just seems second nature for him having a new companion. He always has to do that. It feels like it's more so, or more, uh, they're, they're pointing it out more. Oh. I don't know. It might just be me. Uh, well, he's not having to teach her about the TARDIS. She knows <laughs> what a true. TARDIS is. Yeah, that's we true. didn't get to hear that it was bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Um, and she's probably only the second companion so far that can actually fly the thing. Mm-hmm. So... There is that, you know. Or did um, Zo- was Zoe able to fly it? I think she was able to operate. She some might of have been controls. able to. Yeah. Um, uh, what where I was going with that? Sorry. Oh no, that's okay. You. But yeah, she. I think that. You know, he even says when he talks about getting a new assistant, it's like, well, assistants mean I have to. I have to show them and teach them, and you know keep them out of trouble so I think that he's teaching her things about the how others are in the, the real universe mm-hmm. that, that she's only studied about so there probably is quite a bit I think she gets better though like in the next film maybe. oh Romana yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So. I don't think it lasts too much beyond this actually I think it's just a uh, side effect of the guy writing it mm. and writing this character for the first time. Yeah. I think he had an idea of her that did not carry very far that she needed to be taught mm. everything about being a time traveler. Mm. Or at least a companion to the doctor as a time traveler. Yeah. It's funny because I was, you were talking about others who could operate the TARDIS. I'm sure 
you, you first you met just Susan. Yes. So, and I think there was kind of a similar thing that happened with Susan. Susan started out, I mean, it's similar but opposite. Susan started out as a very intelligent, um, confident time traveler with her grandfather, and they turned her more into a teenager who mm-hmm. didn't really know what she was doing some of the time. Uh, so kind of the opposite. Yes. But yet they, they had yeah, a change had in negative her growth. Yeah. Where Romana definitely has a lot of growth. Right. In a very short time, in fact. Right, but if they intended to have more of, you know, her this way, want this way, and then turned out to have her be more of a confident and intelligent yeah. time lord. But she is. Um, story-wise, I think it was fine. Um, it's hard for me to see some of the filler because I've just seen the, this episode so many times that but I just don't think that very much of it is. In this one, I didn't think very much was. I thought they could have trimmed the lighting ceremony a little bit. Yeah, that would be. And I don't understand thing. how when, uh, what's his name, goes and checks the little doorway where the Trivenzal is, how did he not see Romana hiding behind the panel to his right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the panels are conveniently placed on either side kind of yeah, angled away the the door. you know perfect hiding place in yes. a secure room that's not very bright <laughs> isn't that sort of like putting shutters over your security cameras kind of give somebody a great place to hide um, and they've utilized it several times now <laughs> in the first two episodes yeah uh, but yeah, story-wise, I think it's interesting. I, I think it's, um, uh, there's, you know, there's definitely a theft going on, but there's more to, you can tell, not just that I know it, but you can tell there's a little more to the story of uh, Garon and Unstoff. And what they're trying to, to do mm-hmm. with the graph that we just don't haven't seen yet. Yeah. At least I think so. Either that or I'm just projecting because I know that there is more to it. I don't know. That's possible. I try not to do that too much. So. Anything else about story or I mean... I think we've Shriven's developed. all costume still crummy. Yes, it is. It's still crummy. I do like the rest of the costuming, though. It's obviously Russian-based, but yes, yeah, so it's very interesting. Talk about. I, I noticed the uh, information track was talking about the um, uh, influence of uh, Sergei Eisenstein's Ivan the Terrible, nineteen thirties, fifties, nineteen fifties. Yeah, movie know. about the first czar of Russia. And that um, you can see it a lot in the Graf Vindicay's costuming, um, the, the elaborate bits to his uh, armor plate and the kind of longer robe type uh, things that he wears, and especially his hat, his fur-lined hat that has kind of comes has a broca- a very ornate metal mm-hmm. gold mm-hmm. inset with the point which is very much like Ivan the Terrible's helmet that 
that is seen in like the first part of that movie. Yes. Um, which is I did not think about that when I first, or even second, third, fourth time I've seen this one. Um, I haven't seen Ivan the Terrible, but I knew of it from high, from uh, college. So that's a very uh, interesting point that I think the information track gave us about that. It has a very uh, good feel, and I think the music, uh, the very regal sounding music when they're in the relic room was, it was kind of, it was a little bit loud, but mm-hmm. I think it Which was meant to I be. Which I didn't think, me- oh, you thought the music was part of the ceremony, and to me I thought the music was just background music. Oh no, I think it was but background no, I, music, oh, okay. but I think that it was to reinforce the, the air of oh, okay. ceremony and Your regalia. Recap sort of implied to me oh. that you thought it was uh, yeah, I do, part I don't, of the ceremony. I don't think everybody else heard the music. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to sound like I thought they did. I guess it, it kind of did. But I meant that it was but episode music. I'm not convinced it wasn't supposed to have been part of the ceremony. Yeah. But mm. I think the, the sounds of the, the torch lighting was. But yes. Definitely that. But if they're not technological people mm-hmm. my question is how do they have this this staff that lights these lights that you know it's not you know a flame that we can see it's just makes this sound and it lights the lights around the room right and the doctor says that there are multi-louvered interlocks in the, the case the cabinet of the relic case when he's trying to unlock them in our last uh, the first episode. So they have that technology, yet they guard the room with a creature. <laughs> My guess is either they had technology and lost. Oh, it could be. Which makes it seem like magic to them. True. Maybe. Or they really do have technology, but. It's lesser technology than the rest of the galaxy. And mm-hmm. so it seems like they have none by comparison. Probably. Maybe. And yeah, if they are peasant or people, maybe they were overcome by a more of a barbaric society and this is all they have left. Something like that. Um, and they use it for their holy items. You know, it's magical, so it seems to fit yes. with those types. But I don't know that... I don't remember it ever getting explained. No, I don't think it is. So. You wanted to talk about the hypnosis episode. Oh, yeah. The doctor used hypnosis in this episode. And it dawned on me how much... He uses hypnosis in these. Mm-hmm. And I made the comment that it almost seems like for the fourth doctor, hypnosis is what Venusian karate was to the third doctor. A crutch. It's his crutch. It's his way out of situations mm-hmm. that needs no explanation. Mm-hmm. Honestly, sort of like the sonic screwdriver becomes later. That's, that's what I was going to say. It's like it, that it is used. Um, in much that way in the new series. Yes. 
which to be honest I really don't like the fact that they've made the sonic screwdriver into what it's become but that's a story we'll get to when when we get that far yeah at this point he uses it more for what you think it'd be used for actually undoing things you know locks or other yes. you know he uses it to jimmy things yeah which is what he tried to use the screwdriver for right um which is how the second doctors um originally started with it mm-hmm. uh, for its use so yep uh yeah i i agree that this is his venetian karate uh, it's funny though this time he pulled out the watch yeah whereas uh he was able to hypnotize uh rodan, rodan just by saying you're hypnotized you're hypnotized snap yeah you fall asleep really it's that easy huh for being really smart time lady or time lords are not very are really pretty susceptible then if he doesn't even even need even need to have a spinning right. watch or anything to put them under. But he does for the stupid guard that can't stay awake on his, on his shift. <laughs> Couldn't sleep either. So, I don't know. I don't know which one is worse. The Kibo? Or the... Whatever you'd say. Or this. At least it's kind of funny the way he, he gets out his hypnotism stuff. Like, oh, he wants my pass? I have a pass in his pack and they're in his pockets looking for something to use, you know? Yeah. Do you think the doctor had like the first Scotty vest coat? <laughs> <laughs> 19 pockets. Maybe. Or he does have a lot of stuff in the pockets he's got. But. I think he just had. <laughs> Transcendental <laughs> pockets. Oh, dimensionally transcendental pockets. Mm -hmm. Which means he could carry quite a bit of stuff. Well, so can you. Mm. Okay, so our tour cliffhanger? Yeah. Which is the graph thinking he's been swindled and telling his men to execute them. Eh, it's okay. I kind of figured that's where that was going to end as we yeah. our story progressed. Oh, I actually thought it was going to end a little ahead of that. Yes. When the graph yells ex or says to execute them, I thought that's where the cutoff was going to be. Which would have been much better. I think so too. Um, we are saying that uh, because what well because what happens next is really unimportant. You see people shuffling around. Yeah, take aim, and then the doctor. And then like, the shot of the doctor, uh, and it ends. Uh, uh, don't shoot me. You know, it doesn't even say that. He's just kind of stammering and looking scared into the camera. It's like, no, this is really not a good place to end. I think they should have just ended on a shot of the graph saying, execute them. Yes. And his mean face, and his over theatrical um, uh, line delivery, and yes. then stop right there. That's all we needed. And I don't remember that last scene of the doctor's face in, like I said, in the movie version. I don't, mm. I don't think that was there. Maybe they cut it. Yeah, and I just don't remember. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've watched the movie version. 
Even though I watched them many times. So. But yeah, it would have been better just to end with the execute them order and leave it there. Yes. <coughs> Effective? Uh, in as much as you're not sure how, you don't see a clear way out of it. Right. Yet. So there's enough suspense, I think, to keep it going to the next week. So. So kind of. Basically effective. Not. Not extremely. Um, uh, happening that you know you have to talk back to somebody. That, you know, oh, what's he gonna do? And wonder and suppose a whole lot. You know, just. Being ordered to be executed, I wonder what's gonna happen to get him out of it. It's okay. Yeah, same, same here. It's got me intrigued, but there's not gonna be a surprise when the doctor manages to get out of it. No, I would just be surprised if he were executed, right? <laughs> Which we know is not gonna happen. No. So it's more of just, oh, I wonder how they're going to get out of it. Yeah. Not, is he really going to shoot him? No. So. All right. Well, join us tomorrow when we talk about episode three of the Rebus Operation. So I hope you join us then, and thank you for listening. <laughs>